Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Well, it is absolutely wonderful that you have chosen to take your time to join us on this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We are going to talk to an expert in marketing, branding, and storytelling for social impact organizations, but there is going to be some rich wisdom here for you, no matter what your business is or no matter what you are doing in the world today. So we're going to pop over to Santa Cruz, California, and talk with Eric Ressler, who is the founder and creative director for Cosmic. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Hey, tell everybody a little bit more about what it is and who you serve. Sure. So Cosmic is a social impact creative agency. So we serve nonprofits, B Corps, funders, sometimes government, but generally organizations that exist at their core to move humanity forward in one way or another. And as a creative agency, we help with strategy, branding, design, implementation, really a full suite of services from the creative side of things. And we can get into more like specific examples, but at a high level, that's really what we do. Yeah, and I I love the phrase humanity forward. I I really do. And and I think that, you know, there are so many more B Corps in the world that aspire to that. And we talk about how important that messaging is because in this world, if you get that messaging off point, it's people can smell right through it that it's not uh, authentic. Um I love the fact that on your website, you have a, a manifesto and, and you you talk about what it is that you as an organization believe in. Um, so so tell us a little bit about that manifesto and, and what makes Cosmic different. Yeah, so the manifesto was really born out of a need to kind of sharpen our perspective and our point of view on doing this work. Um and to really kind of talk about some of these bigger picture concepts that can get lost in the fray if we really just focus on like, you know, the services that we offer, some of those kind of things that are also important, but don't really get to the soul of what it is that we're doing and our beliefs. Um, so it was a project that was a joint project from our team. I kind of took the lead on it as as the founder. And we really wanted to, um, you know, to, to use the phrase, eat our own dog food a little bit when we built that. So we decided like, we're not just going to like pen a white paper and put it out there, but we're going to actually create like an immersive digital experience. There's an audio component. When we released it, we released it with like a little video clip teaser. Cause one of the things in the manifesto is actually creating scroll stopping experiences. And we're mm -hmm. like, well, if that's what we're going to preach. Then we've got to actually come through with that on our own and how we release it. Um, so it's a really super fun project. Um, and also one of the hardest things I think I've ever had to do professionally because we had to really put ourselves out there and, you know, anytime you write something, you realize how little you actually know about what you think you're going to write <laughs> about, which is the beauty of publishing. Um, and so it was a really fun experience, but, you know, it's really kind of framed around this concept that we didn't invent, but we believe strongly in. Um, and that's the concept of the attention economy, which is a term maybe you've heard, maybe you mm -hmm. haven't. Um, but really at, at a high level, the attention economy is really what we're living every day. And I think we can all relate to the experience and the feeling of being in the attention economy. 
right now information is free and flowing and there's more access to information than you know there ever has been for more people in the world and on one end of the spectrum that's amazing that's this awesome opportunity we can learn about so many things free instantly for the most part um but on the flip side now we have this issue with like signal to noise there's so much coming at us every day through our digital devices we're being trained to take on more and more and take in more and more information all the time and so there's also this sense of like overwhelm and people getting kind of burnt out on just like there's too much feeling like they're always behind they can't catch up they can't just kind of make sense of so much at this point um, and then you get even further down into like disinformation and like that kind of stuff it gets even darker we don't need to necessarily go there but even just the sense of like uh, if you're a social impact leader or if you work at a social impact organization one of the big things you need to do is to inspire is to educate is to activate and if you can't reach people then how are you going to do that? And so much more and more people are communicating and we, and we must reach people through digital channels such as email and social and your website and all these things. And so that's really the kind of core of our way of thinking about doing this work is we can design the most beautiful experience in the world with the best message in the world. But if it's not distributed properly, if it's not actually cutting to the noise, then no one will even see it. So what's the point? So we have to really think about it full circle. So as much as we started essentially as a design agency, we've had to build our capacity for understanding how does design work and integrate into modern culture in a way that's effective because design is not just about making things that are beautiful, but it's about actually achieving goals. And if we can't reach people in the first place, then we're never going to do that. No, I appreciate what you're saying that we we need to think about how our messaging and our methods integrate into into modern culture. Um, I want to go back to tell our listeners what the website is so that we can encourage them to go take a look at just how you've uh, constructed and laid out visually your manifesto. Yeah, so the website is designedbycosmic.com. Um, and then at the top, there's just a tab that says manifesto. It's also a feature on the homepage right now. Um, so you can pretty easily get to it or just go to slash manifesto. And we kind of broke it down into like a chapter based approach. So we kind of break down some of the key points in the manifesto. And then it's like a long form uh, visual thing. So you kind of scroll through, you you navigate between the chapters. You can like open up the the like index and kind of see that. Our overall brand for Cosmic is like very inspired by like editorial design, which we just are huge fans of. And so we really tried to draw inspiration even from some like old like classic print um, kind of design influences and design systems. So um, yeah, I encourage people to go check it out. Uh, we had fun making it. Hopefully the ideas are inspiring, but also just the experience is delightful. Hey, I get geeked out um, when I see something on websites uh, that I like. Uh, I read so many people's LinkedIn pages, so many websites, so many bios, so many one sheets um, as a result of working on this podcast. So when I say go look at something, I really do mean it. Hey, I want to go back to some examples of these organizations that you work for, maybe a, a case study or something you're at liberty to share with us. And I want to clarify for our listeners, well, you're in Santa Cruz, um, your team members are distributed and you do work both in North America and around the world. So um, tell us a little bit more about the types of clients you work with. Yeah, totally. It very it varies a lot is what I'll say. Like we've kind of chosen to look at this sector broadly and I think part of that just comes from the 
sense that we're curious as designers, we like variety, the challenge of like learning new things. Each project excites us. It doesn't overwhelm us, even though it's not easy. That's kind of what keeps it fun. And there's a lot of cross knowledge and cross, um, you know, learning through different projects. We can learn something in one project and apply it to another. So there's always a balance of when you're really trying to hone an expertise around how broad do you go versus how niche do you go and trying mm-hmm. to kind of find that balance. If you go too broad, you're not actually becoming an expert at anything because everything is so novel each time. You can't do what's called pattern matching and look at trends and, and start to like learn things at a more meta level. If you go too niche, um, you become super, super specialized and that can be great. Sometimes there's a need for that. You know, thinking about like in the medical profession, like extreme specialists who are experts on this one particular type of cancer, for example, like we need those people for sure. Um, For us, we tried to strike a balance of really this social impact space, but not like committing to just like only nonprofits, for example. Um, A lot of folks do that. There's, you know, certain certainly a valid reason to do that. But we're really looking at the trends of the space and seeing that you know, there's social good happening outside of the nonprofit sector and the lines between nonprofits and business and funders are starting to blur a little bit. I think that's good. Um, and, And so, you know, you see this in nonprofits starting to look at how can we diversify our revenue and not rely only on gifts, but actually provide services or sell products. And then you, at the, on the flip side, you see kind of like the growing, popularity of B Corps and organizations forming with a commitment to good in their charter instead of just like as a cause marketing campaign or corporate uh, social responsibility, for example. So I think at a high level, we do get to work with um, a ton of different organizations across multiple different sectors. And we really enjoy that. The unifying theme behind all of them is that they exist at their core to move humanity forward in one way or another, either serving a particular community or looking at a specific issue area. And so they become kind of experts in their own way around that little piece of of the problem that we're trying to solve. And a lot of times these are some of the most difficult, intractable problems that exists. And so they may never actually be quote unquote solved, but we that doesn't mean we can't make progress towards them. So an example, like right now, we're working with an organization called the High Atlas Foundation out of Morocco. They've been doing work there for quite a long time. They were kind of born out of the Peace Corps. Um, As you can imagine, they're quite busy right now because at the time of this recording, Mm -hmm. there was just unfortunately a a massive earthquake there. So they've really mobilized resources and gone into full relief mode very quickly. They essentially do sustainable development for rural communities in Morocco, a lot of which are in the High Atlas Mountains. And so they've been around for a long time. They've learned how to do this work. They understand deeply the people that they're helping in a way that other organizations never will. But they have challenges around fundraising, getting their message out there, reaching the communities even. And so we help them, and we're in the middle of this project right now, but we help them figure out how to really nail their impact story in a way that is resonant with people that they're trying to get support from, their funders, the communities that they serve, and then building out a brand and digital experiences that enable people to actually get involved, to learn, to get inspired, to take action, to give if they can time or money, to share what's going on, to start a peer-to-peer campaign, all these different ways that we can help leverage the power of design and the digital experience to actually move their organization forward operationally, not just as a digital brochure, but as an actual like 
organizational asset. So I want to I want to flip over to you, Eric, and talk about your journey as a, a founder. We love founders on this program. Um, we love getting marketing and leadership insight as well. But what inspired you to say I'm gonna I'm gonna set up this company and I'm gonna do it my way? Yeah, it's funny. There's not my path is maybe not traditional. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, I didn't actually go out to set up a company when I first started. So I've been really inspired by creative expression from a young age, grew up doing art, grew up doing photo and really quickly like resonated around design as a discipline, especially digital design from a pretty young age. Um, I was lucky to have a computer and access to a computer at a pretty young age because my parents worked in tech and I really struggled with traditional art sometimes, especially like painting, drawing, that kind of stuff. Cause I, I couldn't, I didn't have the technical skill to, to take what I saw in my brain and like make it realized. And then there's people who are way cooler than me that spend a lot of time actually like figuring out how to get past that hurdle. Instead, I was like, Oh, I can just use the computer to do that. That's cool. I'll do that instead. Um, so I, I kind of really quickly moved from kind of traditional forms of art to digital art. And it just really worked for me. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it and just started geeking out on branding and digital. This was kind of at the early, early web days too, when like there were a lot of like Macromedia flash websites and things were a little bit more immersive and a little bit more creative. Um, and so it was really fun just kind of toying around and experimenting with that. I went to design school um, out of high school and pretty promptly dropped out and started just doing freelance work. Um, and really just became self-taught. So at a certain point, it was like, I got to pay the bills and this is my skill and let's make it work. And that worked for a while and ultimately ended up at a co-working spot. And it was kind of right out of the 2009 recession. There were a lot of people who were starting new things, trying to find their their new way in the new economy. And I was a designer and everyone needed design. And so it was a really um, serendipitous and and good place for me to network and connect and ultimately just started getting busy and needing help. And so bringing people on to help developers, designers, and all of a sudden I had an agency, which wasn't really, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have any plan for that really. It all just kind of happened. Um, of course, now uh, things are significantly more intentional 13 years in with a team of nine, we've been a little bit bigger, but this, this size really feels good to us. We like being small and kind of bespoke and hands-on. I like being part of the creative process still. And so, um, you know, we've had to, or I've had to, and, and the team has definitely been a huge part of the support, really transition into a more intentional leader. And I think that that, um, to a degree, is really born from how I think as a designer, a lot about design is like taking these problems and like breaking them down and getting creative and figuring out how to solve them. So creating systems, creating workflows, creating processes, it can be a creative act. It doesn't have to be just this like, you know, um, more corporate act that I think we think about. Eric, um, I'm, I'm listening to you talk and I'm, I'm, I want to ask you like, what's, what's the best business advice you said? Yeah, no, I'm not going to take that advice. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> oh man. Well, there's so much, there's the thing that I've learned in trying to do a lot of research really for almost anything is there's a million opinions on how anything there should be done. There absolutely right? are. And so like, you'll find someone who says it must be done this way. No, it must be done this way. Or here's the best framework. Or, here's the best framework. 
I really think like at the end of the day, you have to just experiment and see what feels right for your culture. And so, you know, I, we do some things differently that are becoming a little less different, but at the time we're very different. So we work a four day week. We've been doing that for quite a while now. Um, it's becoming more popular. Um, but when we started, I, I think there were maybe a handful of other design agencies in the world doing it. Um, and so that's one where, you know, we were really looking at one of the biggest challenges being at a creative agency is that you, you have to create a sustainable work-life balance. And even that term has become like very, I think the connotation of that is not so great anymore, but sustainability for creativity. So if, as a creative, if you start to burn out or you start to become uninspired, it's really hard to produce good creative work. And at the end of the day, we sell good creative work. Like that is the value and and that enables so much more. Like that's not the outcome, but like if we don't do that as an organization, we can't help our clients in the way that we need to. So it's really important to us that we all stay energized and, yeah. and excited. And I think Eric, the 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 point about lead, being a good leader and being a, a creator, a creative is giving your brain that that space to think. So I would, I would guess that your brain is still thinking, even though you're not sitting at the desk, you're, 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 you know, you, you can't, I always say sometimes, you know, thoughts are like boomerangs, right? You, you just got to kind of keep throwing them out and then they come back and they bring something else with them and then you throw it out again and it comes back. And then, you know, some of the best ideas are when you're out for a walk or out doing something completely different than being bound by your, your desk or bound by your computer. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and even inspiration, I think so much about being creative, being strategic, being a designer is experiencing the real world. And if you're locked to your desk all day and into the wee hours of the night, I mean, sometimes you got to do pushes like that to get things over the finish line. But if that becomes the norm, which I see all the time in the ad world and the creative world and the agency world, this kind of like just grind to the ground mentality, which I think is starting to change, but still is quite pervasive in the agency space. You're not giving yourself as a human time to connect with the real world. And, and so then you become less culturally aware and relevant because you're not actually participating in culture. You're just grinding all the time. And so I think it's really important to have that balance of space and like hard work. I mean, when we work our four days, like they are very intentional and they're very like, well, like we deserve our three day weekends every week for sure. Um, and that works for us and our team and our culture. It might not work for everyone. Um, you know, I, I believe in the four day week as, as kind of a better balance uh, for, for most people. It's not going to work for absolutely every sh shop or every agency or every company. Um, but I think it's an interesting kind of, non-conformist way to run things. Yeah. I want to jump topics because you are in the business of, um, you know, digital design and, and, and thoughtful branding and uh, creative content. And so I want to talk for a minute where we happen to be having this interview right after the end of the writer's striker, which we believe is the end of the writer's strike, but there are other strikes coming up all over the concept of, of AI. And for those of us that have, um, been talking about disruption for a while, you know, a lot of this AI stuff is is not new. We've seen it coming for a long time. But 
what are your thoughts, particularly in the, um, you know, the social impact organizations um, on how we can use these tools or how we compete with these tools? Because as you said earlier, there is a lot of noise out there and there are a lot of marketing, uh, Marcom, Martech companies selling you all these content solutions, but um, they still don't have the right authentic voice for me. So any thoughts on trends or insights into that segment of what's going on in the business world? Yeah. I mean, I'm cautious to speak too much on AI because it's so new and I'm not an expert there, but I can speak from my own perspectives. Like I'm worried. And I think I've, I've already personally seen this is just going to exacerbate the noise problem because people are just going to have the ability to pump out unoriginal content more easily than they did mm -hmm. before. So, you know, before you might hire like a ghostwriter or an agency even to do content and that can be done in a really authentic way, but often it's not often it's just like, okay, we must publish three blogs a week. So like, let's go. Uh, and you know, that's not adding value. And I think like as humans trying to navigate this attention economy and this, this problem with noise, we've become very discerning, like ruthlessly. So about what we will and won't engage with. And as we get, if, if there's just more noise being pumped into the system, that's only going to create a, a more and more discerning population. And so I don't think it really changes anything around how we think about this, because when we think about content, we're looking at like, how do we cut through that noise? And, and honestly, like there's, I kind of think about this in the same way. I think about like what makes a good movie, right? Is it just the story? Is it just the actors? Is it just the cinematography? It's kind of all of it, right? And I think about the same, when we're talking about content production, I think about it the same way. Um, an article can be extremely sticky if the idea behind the article is really interesting, right? And it's it, it can be a very simple article. Like think about some of the best, news articles you've read or, you know, long form journalistic articles where it might just be a wall of text, which from a design perspective is like the worst design possible for engagement. But if the story or the ideas in that text are interesting, then it doesn't matter. What is a book if not just a wall of text bound in pages, right? So on the flip side, though, the presentation also can have a huge impact on what's interesting or not. So I also think about you know, long form articles that are more editorial in nature where we have, you know, pictures and pull quotes and artifacts that kind of enrich the story. And so I think when it comes to content production, it's really about for your organization and your content, what is most engaging to your audience and what do you have at your disposal to leverage? Yeah, It all starts with good ideas and good content, but then how can you present that in a way that's interesting or novel? Can you in, embed audio snippets? Can you do short videos even with your phone to kind of enrich the content? And so I, I think when it comes to kind of AI and some of these tools that, that people are starting to use to generate content, the content is really only going to be as good as like the source. And if the source is all the same for everyone, ultimately things are just going to start to converge, um, at least with the current technology that could change. You know, again, I'm yeah. not an AI expert, um, but I think people are going to continue to crave actual human connection. And that's not what AI content is. 100% agree with you. Um, 100% 100, 100 people do. 
crave human connection. And I think when it comes to, I'm going to say social impact organizations, um, we've moved past, or, or a lot of times we move past, you know, the, the sad, sad pictures, right? We, we want to, people want to know that their money or what they're doing is going to have a, a positive outcome. And I think that's also changed the way that social impact organizations have to look at their, their marketing and their, their branding is, is it's like, yes, we can demonstrate this sad problem, but there has to be an, an integrity as well to show that these organizations are delivering some results if we're going to be putting money into them and giving them space. Like you said, giving them space, even in our philanthropic um, ambitions, we still have to want to let these organizations into our lives. Hey, let's talk about uh, distribution. We're, we're going to, we're coming up on our time. Um, there's a lot of distribution channels, any kind of insights into some of your favorite distribution channels that you've got right now or things that you're seeing really working for people? Email, believe it or not, um, yeah. I think is the most underrated one and it's the, you know, the oldest, so to speak. But I think especially this is something that we've been talking about for a long time now. And I think especially with things that have happened at Twitter recently, it's even just more poignant um, you know, email is is essentially an owned channel. It's not completely an owned channel, but it essentially is. And I think there's a lot of excitement around social and social being kind of the future and and it's been that way for quite a while. And, and I don't think that social is something you should just completely ignore. The problem with social is that it's completely out of your control as to kind of how it's used, what the algorithms, you know, shows people. So changes in algorithms or ownership of platforms if you overinvest in any one social channel, it's a very risky bet. If you're putting a lot of time and energy into that channel, like building up a following, building up, um, you know, the ability to kind of reach people there. And then all of a sudden Elon Musk buys Twitter and we, you know, we'll see what happens, but let's just say it's not looking great. And we've already got clients who are like, what do we do? Because we're not getting as much traffic to the site from Twitter anymore. So I think, you know, again, back to this idea of like building out, authentic human connection, we think about this for social impact organizations that essentially you're building a community between your supporters and yourselves and the communities that you serve. And I think if you can build out a community through through channels that you own, so really primarily email and your website, um, and you know, not to completely um, go away from snail mail or you know direct mail as as a supplementary channel as well. Um, that's going to give you a more sustainable long term way to reach and engage with supporters. And so, again, like I'm not saying don't do social, but in terms of distribution channels, like we look at when when you're building out this kind of digital flywheel, so to speak. The central hub of that flywheel is your website. And then all these other channels are really distribution channels pointing back to that central hub. But email is the like the closest moon to that hub. And I think the other social channels, you need to kind of see what works and what's right. Um, for example, like LinkedIn is really the only social channel that we play in because we do business and it seems like the right channel for that. 
Um, we've done others before, but we experimented and, you know, it just wasn't right for us. So we've shed that down. And so we do, you know, we publish stuff on our website. We have our email newsletter and subscriptions, our subscribers, and we have LinkedIn and like that, we focus on that simple formula and really figure out how we can optimize for that. Instead of feeling like we must have an Instagram, we must have Facebook, we must be on TikTok now. So that's our personal approach. And, and we look at that for each client and figure out like, where is your audience and how can we generate a strategy that's sustainable amongst the ebbs and flows and trends of social media? Well, hey, Eric, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And I, I really value what you're doing for these organizations and getting their message out in the world. I always worry about the nonprofit space. People who've listened to this podcast know that I worked in um, corporate for many, many years, helping other businesses with their marketing and, and branding. And now I took those skills to the nonprofit space. And I always worry that, you know, nonprofits can keep up with the cost of getting their message out there. So thank you for what you do. I like to ask our guests, if we caught up with you in another two or three years, what is the story that you think you're going to be telling? What's going to evolve and change for Cosmic? If anything, maybe you guys are just happy just the way you are. I mean, I definitely think we're happy the way we are. Um, but in two to three years, I'd love to be really more involved, especially internationally. Like we're very lucky to be able to do work internationally and, and enabled through this, the you know, amazing technology that we have and remote work and all of that. Um, but I really would love to kind of change even that message around how important this work really is and see design integrated in within organizations in a more holistic way in the social impact space in the same way that we've seen it start to happen kind of in the corporate world and the tech world. And so I hope we can be part of that. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Hey, if people want to learn more, do more, how can they connect with you? The website's the place to go, designbycosmic.com. The manifesto is there. We publish a bunch of free stuff um, and resources there if you're interested in like taking some of these ideas and putting them into practice. And also just feel free to re reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, if you just search Eric Ressler, I should come up. Hey, Eric, thank you. And to our listeners, please connect with Eric. You know, he is a wonderful person that you should add to your knowledge network. And like he said, they make it easy. Everything's on, on LinkedIn. So reach out, follow the company and connect with him. Hey, until then, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Eric, thank you again for being a guest. Thank you. It was my pleasure. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>